podcast with Dan and Scott. Hottest golf podcast, whether you like it or not. Fresh from back in the day when that's a put at the park. 7 a.m. PM special where they played after dark. From the birds to the focus to the losses and the win. Welcome podcast, patron to the show, lead the pen. Get busy golfing or get busy dying. Hottest golf podcast and the swing ain't lying. Welcome back, podcast patrons, to another episode of Leave the Pin Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Dan. Very excited today to bring back uh, an old friend on the pod. We haven't spoken to him on the podcast in, a, in about a year now, Mr. Nick Biondi. Nick, what's going on? Uh, everything's good, Dan. Good to hear from you, man. Um, good to be back on the pod. I appreciate talking to you and, and uh, checking in. We'll talk a little golf here. Yeah, so it's been about, I mean, literally almost a year to the day. We talked about that a little bit. That's kind of you know, kind of odd, but but maybe maybe you're our you know our January guy, and you get us kind of started into the the season now. Um, and I think a lot of people could use some positive news coming into 2021. For sure, most definitely. I think 2020 was such a crazy golf year and life year, especially. Um, 2021 hopefully will be much better, and and uh, I think things are looking pretty good as of January one. I think it was we had a nice start, so. Um, looking forward to the year, looking forward to some events, some big events, some Q school stuff, and, and uh, we'll get it rolling here pretty soon, the end of the month. So let's give our new listeners, you know, not to pat ourselves on the back, but we've grown a little bit. There's, there's probably an entire segment of our listening population that has not heard from you yet that, that maybe don't know. And to give a real brief example, and I'm, I'm going to give Nick time to, you know, kind of talk about himself a little bit and brag, but uh, Nick is a pro golfer from the, you know, the great state of PA, not too far from me. So a Northeast PA boy, uh, as well plays a mini tours, uh, has done some Latino America stuff, has done some us open qualifying stuff. I mean, so kind of runs the gamut of, of pro golfer. Um, so Nick, for everybody that is just kind of new to you that maybe hasn't heard, I believe it was episode 64. That's going back a little bit. That uh, is, I think it was. Yeah, you're yeah, right. Yeah, that's, that's a while, man. This is like, I don't know, 140 or something like that now. Um, but give everyone kind of a brief synopsis of, of Nick Biondi and his golfing career so far. So, um, yeah, I'm a 25-year-old, just turned 25 in October, mini tour player, um, trying to make it to the next level, PGA Tour Canada, Latin America, or excuse me, Corn Ferry Tour, and then hopefully the PGA Tour. Um kind of really no straight direct path to the PJ tour anymore but yeah so I'm uh, been playing for the last three years basically anywhere and everywhere uh played division three college golf I was all American um one of the top 20 scoring averages in the country uh one of my years um high level junior player turned into a mini tour player just kind of loved the game and loved to play and compete and um here we are 20 years later basically it's been this will be my 20th season playing golf like full time, a lot of golf. And I think it's my 18th year competitively. So it's been a, a great ride thus far and looking to really make some, uh, some good headway in the coming year here, 2021. I'm excited. So graduated from Marywood university D three school, which, uh, you know, which I think is pretty cool because there's so many people out there when they think of professional golfer, all they think about is about, you know, the top maybe 150 guys in the world that are on the PGA Tour. And that's the only thing they think of when professional golfer comes into their mindset. Um, but there's a, there's a whole entire other world out there of guys yeah. making a living in golf. And you don't have to be from an Oklahoma state. You know, you, you don't have to be from, um, you know, Cal 
or a school like that in order to make it. And I think you proved that real well coming out of Marywood. Definitely. Most definitely. I, I had someone say to me the other, the other day, they said, well, if you haven't, I'm 25, right? And they said, well, if you haven't made it yet, or if you didn't go to a Texas or an Alabama, like, so what's kind of the avenue? What's the route? Like, well, how do you get there, basically? Um, and I looked at the person, I said, well, kind of the average age on tour has got to be like mid thirties, something like that. Like it's, it's not, you, it's very, really rare to come right out of college. I don't care if you went to Marywood or Oklahoma state to come right out and start playing on the PGA tour. That's a rarity. Um, as we know, tour players are mutations, but yeah, it's a, Marywood was great. I, I really enjoyed my time there. It gave me a chance to compete and, um, and play at a high level. We played two national championships, which is awesome. And, the best player wins, right? So it's it's um, lowest score wins. The golf course doesn't change. Um, conditions don't change. That twenty mile an hour crosswind doesn't change, right? Um, but no, it was uh, it was good. I really enjoyed my time there, and I really um, think that it it helped me kind of grind a little bit harder, especially coming from the Northeast and the winter time. You know, you're sitting there. It's February. It's twenty five degrees out, and you got to go train in the gym and then you're going to go hit some golf balls for three or four hours and you're going to try and improve yourself. So, um, it was good. It's a, and the mentality of in the Northeast is pretty like put your nose to the grindstone and, and do, get your work done and, and just see what comes of it. So, um, that's, it was, it was just awesome. It was uh, I wouldn't change it for the world. So most definitely. I think that's a great point that you make. Um, one of the points that I always contend in collegiate golf and in even the lower levels of professional golf is is guys from the Northeast or Northern sections, you know, Michigan, Wisconsin, et cetera, et cetera, these cold yeah. weather states, you have such a limited time that you can be outside doing, you know, actual grinding in the dirt type practice. And a lot of times you've got to take advantage of what you can do in the cold weather. And, and, you know, for me, as far as meeting people in this game, what I've found is, and I don't want to call the guys from like California or Florida soft or anything like that, but, (laughs) but there's, there's a little bit of kind of like, um, you know, that gosh, a little bit of a soft mindset, like, Oh, it's 45. No, I'll just, I'll stay inside the heated stall today (laughs) where I think guys like you and I 45 degrees of like, dude, there's no wind. It's 45. Let's go play. Yeah. We're trying to get 36 in if it's that temperature. (laughs) I mean, Um, that's the truth, but most definitely. Yeah. I mean, so I was just out in Arizona a couple weeks ago and it's like playing in a bubble. It's like, Weather's perfect. Wind is down. It's 75 to 85 degrees. It's a little chilly in the morning, which is okay. And same thing with Florida. The wind blows a little bit, whatever, but um, you get some rain occasionally, but it's warm. Like the warmth is a big thing. So, but yeah, it's definitely a, a nose to the grindstone type of mindset. You're, you're going to grind. You're going to get your work done. You're going to take your time with your practice to make sure it's a fit, as efficient as it could be. Um, and you're just, and I mean, we've got a kind of a nice, grouping of players in this state like um like we have the met section in new york and we have pennsylvania golf and and gap golf here in the philly area but like this kind of region new york new jersey pennsylvania the golf courses are great the golfers are all really really good um and it's it's just great it's there's always a a high level game someplace you're gonna find it i always think it's crazy that we have such a plethora of golden age architecture uh, hall of fame courses in this little sub-region of the U.S., in an environment where you can play eight and a half, nine months a year. 
Yeah, yeah, it's pretty crazy, right? Um, there's so many good courses. I'm I'm currently in Philadelphia right now, uh, but it was it's just amazing. Like you have Aronimink, Marion, uh, uh, White Manor, White Marsh, uh, Overbrook is one that I love that I've played a couple times in, in the golf association of Philadelphia, they do interclub matches. And so I've played there a couple times, but, and some of the golf, it's like, and the golfers and the competition is so good, but yeah, the plethora of golden age courses for sure. is like, wow. Like it's, it's really, really, um, a perfect storm for a golf golf, uh, junkie, as we would say. Now, I don't do much research for this podcast. Everybody knows that. You know what I mean? I like yeah. to. I, yeah. <laughs> there's no notes. There's no nothing. I love it to be a conversation. But I had to do it the, the tiniest bit. And I don't know if you know this. And if I'm surprising yeah. you with this, I would love because this is awesome. Do you know that you are now listed on PGATour.com? Your bio yeah. is, is, is up. It's, 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 it's empty now. It's, it's to be told. The story is, to, is still to, to be, be told. told. But you are on PGATour.com right now. You can search Nicholas Biondi, and you will pop up. That's pretty cool. It I, is. Um, that's pretty awesome. I So my thing is I always wanted to play professional golf. So to see my name on the PGA Tour website is pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah. It's cool. When I, whenever I play a Q school and uh, you can type in, like, what players you want to follow on, online, and you'll get the alert. So I played a Q school a couple years ago. My first one, actually, and all my buddies, they were following me. And uh, it basically came up like Justin Thomas has now teed off. Jordan Spieth has now teed off because that's the guys who we kind of starred. And then it's Nick Biondi has now teed off. So that's kind of cool for sure. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty wild seeing you. I mean, just so you know, uh, you are sandwiched in between Christian Bezetahoit and Lucas Burgard, the man who nice. took down Tiger Woods. So, I mean, that's... Luke- it's pretty good company. That's pretty good company. That guy can play. Like that Lucas oh, for sure. can play. He's working with Sean Foley right now. I'm kind of a swing nut. And uh, I follow him on Instagram and he's doing some great work. So that's that's good. I'll take that. I'll take that uh that sandwich for sure. Um, you know, one of the problems I always have with PGATour.com is that things are, are so boring and so bland. Uh like for profile, um, it'll say like special interest, you know, and half of these guys it says like uh, you know, loves to fish or you know, yeah, likes yeah. to cook. Likes to cook food. Um, I mean, real quickly, we'll get into the golf, but but in in the off season, which you've had a very extended one as of yeah, late, um, very much so. Yeah, I, beyond extended off season. W- what are your non golf activities that kind of keep you away from the game, keep you sane and grounded that you like doing? So I I uh, actually maybe a year and a half ago, two years ago, I started playing the guitar. Um, one of my good buddies up in here in Pennsylvania, John Barone, he's a pretty avid guitar player and a, and a solid guitar player and uh he was like dude you have to get a guitar you have to do it it'll be a great way to kind of like like mend your time a little bit so that's what i did i went got an acoustic guitar took two or three lessons and then uh i love strumming around to anything i just like to play so not i'm like a uh, I'm probably like a 15 handicap playing guitar, but solid. I can get it around. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that, that means that you can carry a tune. If you play something, I understand what the song is. Yeah. You definitely. know, I might miss a note here or there, but uh, that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, that's one of my favorite things to do. I like to cook. <clears throat> I've been, uh, actually doing a lot of stuff with like an air fryer right now. I'm a big grill guy and I've been kind of messing around with some different air fryers. So we've been, uh, we've been having some fun here at the house, but um, yeah, I'd say cooking and playing guitar. Those are my two things that I really, really enjoy. 
big grill guy in terms of like charcoal and smoking as well. Yeah, yeah. Get a smoker going. Get the the oak chips out. Uh, anything, meat, steak, salmon. Um, yeah, really anything. Ribs. I love it. Yeah, you're now you're talking. That's my language right there. Yeah. Um, definitely. Yeah, I'm I'm the guy that pulls the grill to the back door in the winter in PA, so I can take one step out from my kitchen and be grilling, you know, in 20 degree weather. Yeah, that's a fact. That's, that is, uh, some of my favorite stuff to do is hitting the grill. And, uh, there's actually this awesome place and we'll get to it, but I have an event planned the end of February. It's in Georgia, Brunswick, Georgia. And there's a spot called Southern soul barbecue. It was, uh, Davis love had owned it. I don't know if he still does, but the place is like right by sea Island, but the place is absolutely like fall off the bone barbecue, like Kansas, barbecue in georgia like just that's absolutely amazing i was there last or the year uh probably two years ago now but yeah yeah grilling playing guitar barbecue you can't beat it it's the best that is literally right up my alley i love nothing more than spending a weekend day you know smoking some meat having it ready by dinner time you know it's fantastic Most, most definitely yeah you just can't you can't beat it the flavors what you can do with it it's uh my next uh, purchase, when I make a fat check, hopefully pretty soon, I'm going to get a, a, a Traeger, like a top-of-the-line Traeger to do, uh, to do it all. So I'm excited about it. Love it. Love it. Yeah. All right. So let's, let's, let's get into that. How are, how are we getting to that spot to, you know, cashing that check to getting that big top-of-the-line smoker? What's, what did your schedule look like in 2020? What did you have planned before – everything kind of went to hell. So we, I found out that basically everything was shutting down. I was playing uh, in February. We were playing the uh, Valspar qualifier, the pre-qualifier for the Valspar championship down in Florida. And um, basically pops up on my phone, like the tournament's canceled. And I'm like, well, that's kind of crazy. So um, yeah, so it was just, kind of insane right but COVID hits and then I had probably 40 events planned 38 or 40 events planned and then I had the opportunity to probably only play about 12 and then I only went to in this, this summer only went to probably five or six because some of those other fields they just people weren't showing up so the money wasn't there it's like I'm gonna go spend a thousand bucks to make a thousand bucks or 1200 bucks for a win so the money's not there at that point but Seems like everything's starting to get back, but um, getting to that next level, the PJ Tour is going to be PJ Tour Canada qualifying coming up here in uh, first week of March. I hopefully it'll be the first week of March for me. Um, I I have the sites picked out. Um, the site that I want the first week of March is going to be uh, uh, Robert Trent Jones course in uh, Delta, Alabama. Um, so this year they're taking the top 25 guys. Usually it's the top 40, but you have to top 25, full field, 132 players, and, um, and hopefully just play well and, and uh, do what I know I can do and, and uh, get some status up in Canada for the summertime. So that's kind of step number one is, is earning your way and, and getting your status and um, kind of earning your stripes up there, learn how to travel, learn how to prepare and play on a, on a tour. So that's kind of the biggest thing. You want to have status so then you can – go and travel and play and, and have a set schedule. That's the biggest thing. 
Now that seems kind of like an oxymoron to have a course in Alabama. I'm, I'm assuming that's part of the RTJ trail down there. Yeah. Yeah. It's Robert Trent Jones trail. Okay. So it, is that a bit odd to, to be playing in the deep South to be qualifying for a tour that's literally going to take you to the great white North? Crazy. Yeah. It's a little different. It's a little different. They have, uh, I think there's seven qualifying sites this year. Um, so it's like Alabama, Arizona, Florida, Georgia, uh, California, and there's a couple in each state. So yeah, it's, uh, it's different, but I've never been to Alabama, so we'll see how that goes, but it's going to be, uh, the golf course looks really good. And, um, so we'll see, uh, we'll see what we can do. It looks like it suits my game. So, but yeah, crazy concept going from deep, deep South to frozen tundra for sure. And do you know what course that is? Is that like the Senator, the judge? I know that those are all down there. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I'm okay. not a hundred percent sure, but I know I picked, I want to say I picked Robert Trent Jones. Then I picked Wigwam out in Arizona, which they're playing. I think they're playing a swing thought tour event there this week. And then the other one I picked was Callaway Gardens. Those are my top three. The Callaway Gardens is in Georgia. Um, and then the other ones I can kind of, I don't know, Mission Inn, which I played last year. It's just a really, really tough golf course. And I actually don't think I drive it well enough to compete there. Uh, Crown Isle Resort, I played there my first one. Uh, my first Canadian Q school, that's in Vancouver, British Columbia in May. So it's still cold. Um, but the golf course kind of fits me. I really enjoyed it. And then uh, there's a couple other ones, but I think if I get one of those first three, because it's a random lottery, you just kind of you sign up and then they pick basically for, from past status. So it's pretty randomized, but hopefully I get one of those first three and then we'll, uh, we'll be able to make some hay when we get there. But I'm not 100% sure about the Robert Trent Jones, but they're all good from what I've heard. So you mentioned not driving it well enough to compete at a certain course. Now, is that related to distance-wise, controlling the ball in the fairway, being able to move the ball left to right, right to left? It's hitting the fairway for sure. That Mission Inn golf course is, right around this time last year, we had talked about it. I was just going to play Latin Q school. Um, but that, yeah, distance has never been a problem. I'm still long, I'm, I'm, and I'm getting longer. I'm doing a lot of strength training right now and, and getting my body in a place where it's efficient and effective to be able to do what I need to do and, and be on the road and, and, um, and compete. But no, distance has never been the problem. I'm a kind of a little bit of a bomber. I'm only five, nine, five, 10. So I'm a little bit of a bomber, which is great, but I just don't, that those fairways are so tight. Like, um, there's a guy by the name of Scott Fawcett. He does, um, a course management. It's called decade course management. If anyone listening is, is struggles with their course management and, and, uh, temperament on the golf course, this guy's amazing. Um, you can go follow him on Twitter, but Scott does a lot of stuff with like statistics. So you want 60 yards to hit a driver on the PJ tour. You want 60 yards, 65 yards from like hazard to hazard where you'd lose the golf ball. And then you want the fairway at 300 yards or wherever you hit it to not pinch to less than 40 yards wide. It's hard to hit a 40 yard wide fairway when you have a club at speed of 118 to 125 miles an hour. So at Mission Inn, all of the out-of-bounds, out-of-bounds is like 50 yards, and the fairway is pinched to less than 40 yards. So really, from a statistical standpoint, you shouldn't even hit driver on those holes. And I'm just not straight enough to hit driver on some of those holes. 
and not hit the occasional foul ball and make a double bogey. And in tournament golf, you just can't make a double bogey. So it's a golf course that I think we heard Kevin Kisner say it. Um, this I think maybe this week or last week he said it was. And that's yeah. And what's yeah. funny is is that's what led me to ask you because both him and Kevin Na after winning Kevin Na after winning said literally. There's now Kevin Na said there's seven to eight courses that I cannot win on no matter what. I don't care if I have the round of my life. I can't. Yeah. Kisner yeah. said there's only three to four courses that he can win on. And then the reporter asked him a great question like, well, why do you show up? And obviously it's not the Tiger mentality. It's the Kisner mentality. He says because they pay a hell of a lot of money for 20th place. For 20th place, exactly. So in my situation, it's like I just paid 2500 bucks to get in this tournament, and I'm going to get a site that – I stand on the first tee and I think, damn, this fairway's tight. Like, I, that's not really what you want to do. I, I mean, for me, I want a place that's a little bit wider for my distance that I can kind of bomb it a little bit. But you still, I like golf courses that you can bomb it. You still want to hit the fairway, but if you miss the fairway, you're not making seven. Um, you can bomb it, hit it in the fairway, and then you have to control your distance into the greens. I'm more of a ball striker type of iron player. So my thing is like, get it anywhere kind of in play in the boundary line. Um, I'm, I'm good on the rough if I am in the rough, but put a premium on kind of hitting the fairway, make them a little bit generous, and then give me the opportunity to really use my strengths, my chipping, my pitching, my bunker play on into, into par fives, um, but really give me an opportunity to like hit 15 greens. Like That's kind of what I want to do. I don't want to hit four or five foul balls and make a couple doubles, and it's like, man, now I've, I just shot four over or three over, and I didn't play that bad. It's just hit an occasional like healed one a little bit and it hits in the rough and now it's across the car path and I'm stymied up against a tree or something like it's just kind of that type of stuff that mission in for me and I think for a lot of players who play uh tournament golf especially in that setting it becomes a little tricky um I can we can go quickly the 18th hole there is a left to right dog leg I'm a drawer of the ball which is no big deal I can still play the golf hole but for me, some of those holes, I've got to start it in places where I just can't even see myself really looking to aim. Like, it's just visually really tough for me and my shape and what I like to do with it. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a golf course that I, I just don't think that I can be super successful. But I'm not going to pay my 2500 to then go somewhere where I don't feel like I can be successful. That's kind of crazy, right? It's like signing up for school and being like, there's a good chance I'll fail. <laughs> but it's the... Uh, just something that we don't do as human beings. Yeah, no, it's a great point. I think there's so much to unpack there, too, for people that are trying to understand how good and how in control of their golf ball a professional is compared to an amateur. And, and I'll touch on some of the points that you mentioned, which I think are phenomenal. If I go to a golf course, now I've, I've played with you before and you know, can tell people that he's super long off the tee. I didn't feel like for a second he was ever out of control of his golf ball. However, the way you probably saw that round was completely different than looking through my amateur eyes. Most definitely, yeah. Um, so so when we had played, I, I felt a little like, I don't know, a little nervous. I mean, meeting a new person and playing and... and I was with a new company at that point in time. Okay, for you felt so. nervous. I'm going out here and playing with a pro golfer. I have the most awkward swing in the world, and I'm putting that <laughs> play in front of a dude who makes his living playing golf. <laughs> no, but the, my thing is, 
I, I my my big thing is like I never judge someone on their golf game. Like when we first met, I was like, man, this guy's just down to earth, really enjoyable to be around, and it was it was great. We had a great day and went and had a little lunch and and did the thing. But um, yeah, it's a uh, for me, like I've played a couple pro-am tournaments and I love, I love kind of chumming it up with the amateurs. Cause it's like, man, I'm trying to learn the golf course, but I'm also trying to make your day enjoyable in a pro-am setting. And, uh, and hopefully we have some fun in, in, in the making of that. And it's just, um, I really enjoy that. If there's an event where pro-ams are available, I always sign up because I think that it makes a tournament go round, but it's so enjoyable. And then you have those guys who are cheering for you that week too. So it's, it's just nice. It's really enjoyable, but um, yeah, uh, for me, it's difficult because you want to play well all the time, right? So it's like um, you're learning a new golf course, um, or you're trying to just perform at a high level. So it's uh, professional golf is tough, right? But amateur, when an amateur sees a, a good, solid professional, it's it's a lot of fun. It can be uh, it can be interesting, and it's uh, it's there's always value in everything on the golf course for sure. How many times do you get people in a pro-am that say something stupid like, um, you know what, dude, if, if, if I could hit balls as many times as you do a week, you know, I could be a pro golfer too. Yeah, that's, it's uh, kind of insane. That's kind of an insane concept. Uh, I had a buddy of mine who we played college golf together. This is kind of a funny story, but I won't divulge any names. But so we played college golf together, and he was thinking about it for a hot minute. So like he started playing in some qualifiers and stuff, and and I was just like, man, like, what are you doing? Like in my head, I'm thinking, what are you doing? Like you, like you weren't the cream of the crop in college. You were never like super consistent. I'm like, you need consistency. You need to be able to make a lot of birdies, and you need to play right at the right time. Like I. I can play, I can shoot 64, 65 of my home club on a Saturday morning skins game, but doing it in a Q school is a completely different ball game. So, but yeah, it's a, I hear that a lot. Yeah. If I, if I, oh yeah, you, you practice every day. I'm like, well, I also have an innate ability to hit a golf ball and I love it. And I put the time into it, put from age, probably seven or eight till 20 from 25 now. So 25, I'm, I'm a, working out two hours a day, something like that, four or five days a week. Fitness is always on point. And then go to the golf course at 9 30, 10 o'clock in the morning and, and grind until the sun goes down basically for most days. And you're trying to be so efficient as you do that. Um, so there's a lot of extra stuff that goes into it. Even like mental preparation. Like I show up to a tournament site. I've played the golf course in my head 15, 20 times already without hitting a golf shot. So it's like, the mental stuff, picking sight lines off tees. It's there's so much extra stuff, but yeah, that's one of my favorites. If I had the time, dude, I'd definitely, I'd definitely shoot in the sixties and play, try and play professionally. I'm like, yeah, but it's not as easy as what you think it, you make it out to be. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the mindset amongst decent amateurs, maybe guys that hover around scratch, maybe even a guy that's a, a plus one plus two, they feel like, you know, if I could only be 10 yards longer, you know, I could, I could be you. And, you know, what I think people fail to realize is the astronomical difference between a scratch golfer at your local club and even, you know, a guy playing mini tours. I mean, it's just, it's not even, 
in the same world. We're not even speaking the same language. You know, you you mentioned before, you step up to a tee box and you're looking at all these different things, carry distances, you know, uh, can I keep the ball in this 40-yard fairway? Should I be hitting driver? Should I be hitting three-wood? When for us, mere mortals, I, I take a driver on any single hole that I can. Yeah, you know, 100%. It's, I don't, dude, I don't even think. I'm like, this is what I do. I look at the scorecard and I say, oh, this hole's 360, driver. This hole's 410, driver. This hole's 270, driver. Yeah, 100%. I, I, so I'm, I actually played the Travelers Championship qualifying. I missed by a shot this year. Um, and I made a, a really just a course management mistake. And if Scott Fawcett listens to this, he's going to text me and punch me in the face. But <laughs> I, I literally just, there's this 10th hole at this golf course and it's in Connecticut, right? The Travelers, as, as most people know, um, if you don't, you do now, which is kind of hilarious. But so we're in uh, Ellington Ridge Country Club in Connecticut, um, Ellington, Connecticut. And I'm up there and my buddy's caddying for me and I rush this decision. Tenth hole there. It's narrow at 300 yards. You can't miss it a little right because it's all hard pan. So the ball kicks right. And it's I mean, it's a pretty straightforward hole. There's out of bounds left, but you really have to hit a hook uh, or a huge slice for a left handed player. And you just don't really want to miss the fairway so you lay back basically and there's three or four bunkers up the right hand side and the first one starts at like probably 220 yards so i kind of rushed because the walk from the ninth hole and this is something that no one thinks about the, the walk from the ninth hole to the tenth hole is kind of long and i'm coming off a great save for par i'm i'm 200 par at this point coming off a great save for par on nine so i, I had some energy so I blew my energy, like I, I walked too quickly from 9 to 10, was like a touch winded because I hadn't played a lot of competition at that point in time with, with COVID and everything that has been occurring in the world. So I'm a little winded at this point. I grab my four iron, which is my 220 club, and I know that bunker, I know that bunker's at 220. I'm like, this is, so, but I step on it, and I hit it, and I just push it ever so slightly into that first bunker. Now I've got 140 out of a bunker. But in my head, like, people don't think, like, well, you're walking, number one. Most most high-level amateurs don't really walk their golf course. They're in carts. So you do a lot of walking with a caddy, and there's a lot of conversation involved usually. But you can, if you get a little winded, you make a quick decision because you're, you're not all you're not firing on all cylinders. That costs you. Like, it literally cost me a chance to play in the, in the Monday event and play in, on the PJ Tour for that week. So, um yeah, there's just a lot of extra things that go into the preparation side of things. But I keep I'm kicking myself right now thinking about it because I'm like, man, if you just hit five iron, you probably don't hit it. I knocked it on the green to 40 feet and three putted it. But if you hit five iron, now I'm in the fairway and I knock it on the green to 18 feet. Now my chances of two putting go up. My chances to make go up. And who knows? It could be, could have been a different story. I also could have three putted the 18 footer, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's stuff like that. There's so many nuances to the professional game, and I'm still learning them. And I think I've got a pretty pretty good golf mind, and I've learned a lot from a lot of great instruction instructors and great players and people. But it's you're constantly learning. You're constantly trying to find that edge. I know that you guys had uh, you had um, John on from uh, Spargo Golf, and John yep. and I have played a little bit in some of the state opens. And John's a heck of a player, right? And 
you're just always he's an equipment guy and and we talked equipment when we had played and i love seeing john up there but you're always looking for that little edge as you know anything whatever you can get you're you're looking for to try and find it so um yeah it's interesting the golf golf is an interesting uh sport and you're always looking for that next step and that next level yeah, it's funny how a situation like that, something nobody would ever think about, right? Walking to a hole or, or motoring over to a hole a little bit faster than normal ends up, you know, culminating in the loss of one stroke, which then culminates in, you know, missing that spot by one stroke. And um, uh, Stephen Imes, a uh, Corn Ferry Tour player I had on uh, a while back, would always say, Mini tour players are literally five rounds away from stardom, right? You're you're qualifying round to get into an event, four good rounds at that event, and you never know what that could lead to. But I think what so many people miss in the pro golf game is all these little intricate details that don't show themselves on the course. You know, for example, if I'm a if I'm a minor league baseball player, the the team is taking care of my transportation, my hotel, they're feeding me, uh, they're prepping me for the game, they've got their physio, their trainers, you know, their yoga instructors, their mental coach, and the team's doing everything. I just show up to the stadium, they plug me in at shortstop, I get up four times a night at bat, and I'm good. But you, yeah. you're, you know, Nick Biondi is the team. You know, Nick Biondi is the brand. You're, you have to be everything to yourself at, at this level. How difficult is that balancing all those, you know, balls up in the air that kind of really just are all focused, you know, on you. Everything's on your shoulders. Yeah. So I always say I'm, I'm like my own accountant. I'm my own, um, uh, trip planner, basically my own travel advisor, my own travel agent. I'm my own my own business basically. And that's how I've, I've really had to refocus myself at times because I think sometimes, yeah, you want to have fun and you want to enjoy what you're doing, but I lose sight that this is a business for me. Like this is something where this is how I don't have any kids, but hopefully at some point in time I can feed my family and, and, and help others through the game of golf and, and through making it to that next level. And it's a business. It's like you're investing in, you're investing your time, you're investing your money and your funds and, um, to try and get to that next level. But you really have to be aware that it's, you've got to run it like a business. It's, it's, um, it's hard work. It's a lot of hours on your game and, and getting around the right people and paying sports psychologists and paying the correct coach and, and getting a team. Um, it's the biggest thing that I've, I have to refocus at times is, is making sure my team is in line and I have the right people around me and, and making sure that they push me to do the work. Because if one person's not 100% on board, you're in for a rude awakening when you get to a tournament side or it's not going your way. And it, like someone makes a little bit of a snark comment. Oh, like, how do you make any money? Like, how does this make sense? And it's like, well, you're right. You're five rounds away from being in a different tax bracket, number one, and, and being in a different, completely different situation. Um, but it's, that's, I think that's what drives a lot of guys, man. Like that five round or that seven rounds that you can play. And it could be in a really short period of time. You play really, really well and you're in a different predicament. And I think that drives, definitely drives me. I love to prepare and I love to think about the possibilities. Um, 
and I love to uh, just compete, right? But I think that really can drive someone to to work their very hardest. Is man, I'm not, I'm not. You're like you're not that far off. You're really not. Um, and no one ever plans to struggle in this game. That's one of the biggest things I've learned is you never tee it up going to a tournament to be like, I'm really going to struggle today. Like I plan to struggle. <laughs> it, it just isn't the case. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it just, it's so interesting, the different dynamics of the game for sure. What, what are you working on? Is there anything specifically you're working on this year that, that you feel like might be that next stepping stone towards, you know, another level of achievement for me on the course. Yeah, I found it, man. I found it. Uh, I love that though. <laughs> People come in the pro shop at my home club, Glomar and Scranton. I found it today, but I, <laughs> I actually found something that is going to get me to that next level. I firmly believe it. Um, so I was working with a guy by the name of Mike Adams. Mike is a number two instructor in the world. A walking planet earth he's one of the most brilliant minds in golf um mike played the mini tours back in the day with the guy by the name of jeff costin uh pacific northwest teacher of the year and and uh, has won uh their pga section stuff 20 plus times he's a legend in that area he's, he's and he played on the pga tour for a little bit and mike also played the mini tours with a guy by the name of mike bender which i think most people know is zach johnson's coach and and Bender and Costin are friends, and um, we got into some stuff, and I, I was talking to Mike and, and kind of picking some brains and some different people, so I, I ended up going out to Arizona to meet up with Jeff Costin, and um, I learned some things that are definitely going to get me to the next level. There's some stuff in my body movement that he picked up rather quickly. It's something that he kind of looks for, um, kind of with my straight into my right leg in the backswing. I wasn't really doing it. I was swinging more of my arms, which for me leads to um, a little bit of inconsistency. So that's why I don't hit it as straight as what I think I need to be to be a top 50 player in the world. Just don't hit it straight enough. Um, excuse me. It wasn't too bad with irons. Irons, I could kind of make that work because I was kind of delivering the golf club the same way. But and chipping was everything's fine because there's not a lot of body motion but really with longer golf clubs i found that um what i'm working on right now is just kind of like take as the club goes back start to kind of straighten my right leg a little bit to make it look more like a like a dj if you take a picture of dj at the top of a swing and look at his feet you're going to see more of the left knee kind of in flex and the right knee bending or the right knee straightening so there's trail knee straightening so that's something that I've, I'm working on extremely hard. And I think, I honestly believe that my golf swing right now, um, and I haven't put it into use yet. We're going to do that at the end of February. We're going to give it a test run in Georgia. But I honestly believe that it looks the best it ever has. And I can honestly say, based on track band numbers, it's the most effective it's been. So, and there's a, there's a huge difference between effectiveness and practice an effectiveness playing and an effectiveness playing tournament golf. Those are kind of the three avenues you look for. But right now in practice, it is very effective and very efficient. So I'm excited to see what it transitions into for sure. But I think I found something that definitely will get me there because it's, it's just going to make me more consistent in the long run and a little bit straighter. Like I'm looking, if I can get five yards straighter on all my golf clubs, man, that's going to be a, um, 
it's going to be a big money year on the PGA Tour in the next couple of years. If I can just get a, a t- if I can get five to six yards straighter, it's going to be really, really good. Um, All right. So you you answered my question. I was I was wondering when you said to hit it straighter. You know how much straighter is it for a pro? So five <laughs> yards that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, like they say that that the twist face and the Taylor made drivers when that first came out maybe three years ago. They said that on average it's like three yards straighter three to five yards straight around testing or whatever. And I'm thinking, damn, think about that. Think about what if you're right on the line of hitting a ball OB and that helps you three yards. Shit, give me that. I'll take that every day of the week. Um, But yeah, it's just, it's those little, it's those little things. I mean, we're splitting hairs from a mini tour player who hasn't accomplished. I feel as if I haven't really accomplished, like I've, I've had some great, some successes and I consider milestones, but I'm not an, an ardent scorer and I don't win. I haven't won 10 times on the mini tours yet, you know? So, um, but I don't feel like you're very far off. I, I think I have that next level gear to be able to get there. Um, it's just a matter of doing it, but it's, you're really splitting hairs. So you need to be trying to find what's effective and efficient for you and how your body moves and, and your skill level. So, and that's all, all golfers across the board. Right, because if, if an amateur, you know, is let's say blowing a driver twenty yards offline, if they can rein that in by four or five yards, now we go from hitting three fairways around to hitting seven. And obviously I'm gonna be more successful if I'm hitting from the short grass than I am the rough. And I'm gonna be more successful hitting from the rough than I am the trees. hundred percent. So um yeah, I think that everyone who listens to this podcast needs to go check out Scott Fawcett on Twitter. Just look it up. It's called Decade Golf, but everyone uses it. On, on A lot of guys use it on the mini tours. A lot of guys use it. Like it's If you play college golf at a high level, and I was using this at the Division three level, that's why I was successful my last two years. was It just worked beautifully. But if, if you are a high-level player or even someone who has a 15 handicap, it will help you. It tells you this system basically tells you where to aim your golf ball based on what your shot shape is naturally. So whatever that is. And then it tells you where to aim the golf ball based on like statistics, like where the PGA tour players hit the shots on shot link. He's taken all this data and basically just says here, this is where you should aim. This is where you want the ball to finish basically. And this is it. This is a spot right here. And it takes all the emotion out of it. it makes golf emotionless which is what you want to do. You don't want to be, well, if I aim it a little bit closer, if I aim right, how many times do we do this? I'm going to aim. I feel like I'm aiming right or I am aiming right. And I'm just going to pull it or I'm going to, I play a huge slice. I'm just going to slice it right into the pin and you miss right pins on the right. Now you're short sided and you make a five or a six or a seven. So this guy has made this a science. So, but yeah, it's, if you can take emotion out of it and just get a little bit straighter for your average player and a little bit straighter for your touring pro. It's changes the game for far none. It changes the game. Yeah. It's so interesting in this day and age of sabermetrics, you know, and, and next gen stats. I mean, that is, that's even more next gen than next gen. I mean, that's, that's insane that we are able to just quantify so much of the golf swing and where the ball needs to be. And like you said, you're taking historical data from what's happened on the PGA tour. I mean, you, you can't, you cannot argue empirical data. It's, it's truth. Yeah. You know, winners, winners hit it here. Guys that missed the cut hit it here. So which one do you want to do? 
Exactly right. It's um when I saw that system, one of my good good buddies, Scott Gardner, he played the uh, PJ Tour for a little bit and the, and the Corn Ferry Tour. Uh, he's an Australian guy, and he grew up learning the game from a guy by the name of Alex Mercer. Alex Mercer in Australia is a legend. He is a he's a Hall of Fame player. Taught David Graham, uh, Steve Elkington, uh, some of the greatest swingers that we've ever had on Earth to walk the planet. Right, so. Uh, Scott actually said, uh, he's Australian, so he's like, hey, mate, uh, you have to check this thing out, and you, I think you're going to love it. And he just got, Scott just got into teaching around this time, two, three years ago. So he sent me over to it, and I was like, man, this this is so interesting. And um, so I checked it out, and, and it's it's just uh, leaps and bounds improved my, improved my game, leaps and bounds. Like, I went from a bad round shooting – 74 or 75 to a bad round being around even par like if i'm taking my time looking at my notes looking at my book taking my time it's it shaved three four shots off my game because i just it takes the emotion out it's like i don't need a i don't need a steve williams type of caddy it's like in my own brain I'm, i know where to aim this thing i know how to do it i've done it a million times let's go let's do it so yeah that's yeah. that's awesome it must simplify you know prepping for tournaments and playing as well i mean it just must make everything so much easier because i can take the emotion out of it i don't have to get too high i don't have to get too low a hundred percent a hundred percent agree um and that's the thing that's the biggest thing that i've learned i we have a really good basketball coach when i was in high school um i didn't play any basketball but i'd be at the games and i had a lot of friends that played so um uh he would always say in the huddles, never two up, never two down, never two up, never two down. And I'm thinking, yeah, you want to stay so even keel, especially in golf. Like, especially you don't want to be like slamming clubs and, and cause that's a waste of energy as well. So how we talk about walking from nine to 10 and taking your time, you start slamming clubs around, you're tense, you're, you're tensing up your arms, your elbows, your neck, your back, your whole body tenses when you, when there's anger involved. So that if that translates into the next shot, you just did yourself a huge disservice. Um, but yeah, the the system has been great, and, and I think I think that's something that a lot of players can look into and and learn. Whatever level you're at, like if you're a 15 or if you're a plus two, and you're just trying to win your club championship every year, man, go for it and, and go check this guy out. But he is uh, he's cream of the crop. What um what equipment and what brands you are you rolling with this year in 2021 as we prep for this season? This is a tough question for me right now. Uh, so I was looking into some PXG stuff, and the guy there, Tyler Beveridge, has been great to me. Sent me some irons, uh, some woods, and I just this is tough to say on a podcast, but I just don't love it. Um, they, they they don't they don't fit you is what you can say exactly right I just don't i don't love it for me exactly right, right. um so uh brad millard over at ping has been someone that i've been in contact with for the last four or five years now and i love the four i still play the 400 max the g400 max driver and i i didn't switch into for people who aren't club junkies and I'm going to answer this question in a second, but I have to explain. I'm a kind of a club nut. So I play a driver that's basically probably three or four years old at this point in the G400 Max. They came out with the G410, which is the next one. And I don't play it. I love that 400 Max. It would You'd have to really, like, I'd have to be cold and dead 
for you to take that thing out of my hands. And I've flopped right. around a little bit. I've tested some stuff, but that 400 max always makes it back in my bag. I want to I wanna interrupt here because I think Go that ahead. is such a great lesson for amateurs out there because I cannot tell you, Nick, how many guys I play with that every year it's a new $600 driver. Every year it's a new putter. Every year it's irons. And, you know, and I, you know, I'm a big advocate. I, I, I love John up at Spargo. I went there. You know what yeah. I mean? Like the dude yeah. was able to take my swing and fit it toward a set of clubs and it's been miraculous. And so I always ask the simple question like, well, have you got fitted? Nah, dude, well, I don't need to do that. This new driver's better. Yeah, that's... Like it just makes... Like people, you're listening to a professional golfer, a man who literally makes his living off of playing golf, and he's telling you that he has, you know, it, what most club junkies would say is an antiquated club at three, four years old, but it works perfectly for his swing. So if you find something that works, there's zero, zero reason to try to switch anything out. 100% agree. And what a lot of people don't realize as well is the golf club really needs to fit your body. Like I'm five, nine, but my wingspan and my arms, I'm a six foot one person. If, if you measured my, my wingspan, which is kind of abnormal. Um, but I, my driver is 40, literally 43 inches. I play a 43 inch driver. It's most people's three woods. Um, my three woods, 40 inches, which is most people like long iron, like a four iron or a three iron in most people's bags. So, Get stuff that fits you, number one. And number two, uh, don't run to that new big box chain driver that they're going to sell to you for 550 plus tax. That's just not the way to go about it because you're going to be so much more efficient if the golf club, if the shaft fits you, if the length of the golf club fits you, um, and if the, if the, the club head appeals to your eye, you're going to be so much better off than just buying something new, $3,000 set of clubs, and using the same swing, it's kind of like, um, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? It's like, what do you want to fix first? And I think if you get the equipment right, then you can get your golf swing right, and you're going to be more efficient and effective. But yeah, it's a, it is a, it's tough. It's tough to get that 400 max out of my hands. And you're right. It was a great point you made. It is kind of antiquated because they say drivers every year drivers lose their pop and brad has sent me a, a bunch of these 400 max heads like i basically cleaned out the rest of them so I, i've got four sitting on my shelf um just because i absolutely love this golf club so i talked to and talking with the guys over at ping um and tyler over at pxg has been nothing but amazing i went out when i was in arizona i went to pxg that's where i went checked out their facility got fit um I had had the clubs and he like retrofit them for me. So we took some specs. We've looked at some different things and interesting, like really diving down a rabbit hole there, but it's, it was, I felt as if my 182 club would sometimes go 195 and would sometimes go 174. And I hit it felt as if I hit it the same way and I'm pretty consistent. So I couldn't have that. That's something where I look up and I'm like, okay, that's the window I like. And then the distance wasn't quite adding up. So well, and for you guys, that's life or death. For life me, death. for me, you know, a four hybrid going an extra ten yards, awesome, dude, love it. But for you, you need a specific number. I need to hit my number. A tiger. I think Tiger said that. Like, he doesn't want any surprises. I don't want my one eighty club, and I don't want to see it go one eighty five because that's depending on what you're doing. That's a one hop over the back of the green, or that's short sided into a bunker, short of the green when you're at that front pin. Like it's. You don't want any surprises for sure. You want it's the same window, 
same triad, just Tiger would say, and you want the same uh, spin rate, and you want to you want to see the same thing, and you want the exact same number every time to to hit it pin higher. Um, that's kind of it's that's pretty important. I think hitting it pin high is pretty important. So I called up Brad, uh, and I was looking for a set of I two tens that everyone has been playing. Victor Hovland plays them. Uh, Lee Westwood's been playing them. Uh, Matthew Fitzpatrick. Some guys that aren't even contracted with paying play them. Um, and everyone, a lot of the girls on the LPGA tour have been playing these I-210 irons. Um, similar to a, a PXG, uh, uh, the, their performance iron, which is really good as well. But they're similar irons look-wise. But I know I've played ping almost my whole life of playing golf. Like since I was, I can remember uh, playing, they had a Corn Ferry event. It was the uh, Nationwide Tour at that point in time when I was watching it, but 05, 06, um, at my home club in, in the Scranton area, Glenmore, um, my first hat that was ever given to me by, I like signed for, off to one of the guys that were, that eventually made it to the PJ tour. He signed it and it was a ping hat. So I said, man, I love this thing. This is awesome. The crazy part is, uh, so you know how some hats fit a little differently? The ping hats have always fit me perfectly. So, so I never have to worry about like having my ears pushed out, whatever kind of a nonsense, but, uh, ping has always fit me perfectly from the hats and apparel and stuff to the golf clubs. I just, I like things that spin. Um, so I, so right now in the bag, Brad sending me a, a 425, the new one, which looks awesome. And we're going to do a three wood as well. And, um, so I've got the, the right now I got the 400 max driver in the bag. I've got the, the new uh, four or the 410 ping 410 three wood, um, which I love, which that's that club. I don't think I'll ever change that golf club. Um, I've got a ping crossover, which is a three iron bent to a two iron. So it's strong. So that's like a 250 shot for me. And then I'm going to go four through pitching wedge with the um, uh, I 210 irons with the, uh, True Temper uh, Dynamic Gold X7 shafts. It's the stiffest, most stout shaft on the market. Like I said, I like spin, and pings go higher because they spin a little bit more. So these shafts kind of bring the ball flight down a little bit but keep the spin, which is great. Um, and then I go into the Vokey Wedges, the SM7s. Last time we spoke, I had the SM6s, and I love right, them. I, right, so I, you've I, upgraded those. Uh, yeah, I just went into the same grind, same bounce, same everything, raw finish. SM7s just upgraded them, but I, I really, like I said last time, I, I remember um, remember saying that Vokey does make the best wedges, and I, I truly believe that. Um, and then a putter, I've got a custom ping that's a ping uh, PLD, uh, the Time 4. It was a, like a custom, I think they only made maybe three or 400 of them, so I have that putter, which I absolutely love, and I've been rolling it. Um, I've made some huge strides in my putting stroke the last year. Um, especially with COVID because I've had a lot of time just to like sit there and practice and really, really refine what I'm, what I've been doing. So um, the putter has been really good as well, but yeah, uh, back into the equipment quick. I think if you find something that you love, like that four, I, I'm going to have them send a 425, but I'm going to test them apples to apples, but that's my, my 410 that ping G410 is my gamer three wood. So tough to get out of my hands, 400 max tough to get out of my hands. Irons, I can flop a little bit. Like I, I could play an eye blade. I could play a, a blueprint, which Ping makes, which is great. But um, 
because they're they're so well made. But I think for you, when you find something that like even the shape of this driver right now, my gamer, just the shape of it appeals to me. It looks a little open. It might not be, but to me, it looks open. It sits the right way. And there's such an importance. There's such there's something to be said for that. There's a, a wildly uh, massive importance on on shape and look and aesthetic and how it looks to your eye. So. It yeah, is. you you definitely want some eye candy down there. I I understand that completely. I want to ask you one one last question yep, about equipment. Uh, about equipment. Yeah. You're you're gonna obviously you're a guy that play. You know, and let me rewind for a second. For people that don't understand how good pro golfers are, you've got to understand that that they are taking their scores and their game, and it travels, and it travels not only to different courses that are you know open link style, parkland style. Um, uh, you know, shot placement courses, but they take it to different grasses and different conditions and different weather and, and different ecosystems and stuff. Are you, do you go about and change your bounce depending upon the courses and types of grass that you play throughout the year? Great question. And my simple answer is going to be no. I am, but some guys do. But my thinking behind that is I'm used to a wedge, right? So I see, like, let's say I'm going to Bermuda and I have, uh, I play a pretty universal bounce. I think 11 degrees of bounce is a really nice amount. I think anymore it gets tough off real tight lies. If you've got 14 or 15, the club doesn't really want to sit flush to the ground. I think if you have any less, I think it gets a little bit diggy. So I think 11 degrees of bounce for most people is a really great starting point. Um, but no, I don't just because I, I'm seeing a friend down there. Like I know that for me, 11 degrees of bounce off Bermuda, off hard pan, off firm sand or soft sand, off of r- low rough, heavy rough works. It's really universal. Um, so I think it's important to, for just for me, I think it's an important factor to have consistent bounce with wherever you go. And my motion isn't changing. My chipping and pitching motion hasn't changed since I'm 10 years old. So I've refined it a little bit, but it's still kind of that basic look. It's been that same, same look. So, yeah, I, I do not change wedges, but a, a lot of guys do. And that's uh, and there's there's something to be said about that as well. Like guys on the PGA Tour do it. So it's um, it's common. It's common practice. But for me, I try and keep it as simple as possible. And, and, uh, and I see a friend. All my golf clubs, I tend to see a friend pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, you've got to do what works for you, bottom line. Exactly. Uh, all right, Nick. So let me let me get you out of here on this because you know we've had PGA Tour pros on and and we kind of know how to follow them and what they're doing and uh, I'm playing on the tour every week. But you really kind of have this this incredible opportunity, this amazing journey for 2021 for people to kind of follow along, you know, as you really make some headway in the professional golf game. So how can people follow you? How can they get in touch with you? How can we kind of keep up? in with you know nick biondi as he tackles 2021 so um some social media stuff uh you guys can follow me on instagram uh just actually changed it most people in my club call me nicky just something that's always there's 300 people there and i think 299 of of them call me nicky just something that stuck as a kid uh but i just changed it to nicky biondi 18 on Instagram, you can come check it out. Um, I've been doing a little club repair stuff too, just on the side in COVID times, but it's been interesting. Uh, so, so that's one handle, and then uh, uh, Nick Biondi Golf on Twitter. Um, you can find me there as well. So it's uh, and then on Facebook as well, just Nick Biondi. Um, but yeah, it's a uh, 
the game is interesting, and I, I think that um, it's going to be really good this year. Um, we have Canada Q School. Thank goodness they're having it. Um, but I'm so excited to be able to compete and play. And I've got some uh, Swing Thought Tour events coming up and some some different things and, and uh, a couple qualifiers, little qualifiers here and there. So just getting ready for um, kind of like when that big bell rings uh, in hopefully March uh, for that PJ Tour Canada qualifying. So that'll be my first step. And, and hopefully we can really make some headway like we talk about and uh, and just do something great in the game. I love the game. So no matter what happens in this game, I'm going to be involved one way or another. I, I just, I love the game. I love improving. I, I love someone asking a question. I love trying to help them improve. And the game is just such an enjoyable thing. And, and uh, it's given me a lot. The game's given me so much that I, I don't really think I could repay it, but I'm, I'll try. I'm going to do my best. So it's uh, it should be an exciting 2021. I really appreciate you having me on as well, Dan. It's been a, just a pleasure, pleasure to, to uh, call you a friend. Dude, one of the, one of the things that I just love is is being able to bring guys that are completely down to earth to our listeners and our followers, and and you know not to you know pat you on the back too much or to you know gas you up, but you know our off the record conversations I love more than anything. You and I tend to see eye to eye. I, I love the you know kind of behind the scenes things, um, and I'm so excited for this year for you. I cannot wait to follow you on your journey. I just I truly believe. Just bigger and better things lie ahead. Um, I can't wait to have you on again, and and we'll kind of follow up and let people know how the year's going and and how everything's you know kind of coming to fruition for you. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. I am. Um, I'm looking. For, I'm really, really looking forward to it. I look forward to every year, but this is um, there's a little bit of a different breath in the air this this time this year, and uh, I think it's going to be um, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be good. So I'm excited. Awesome. And for all the listeners out there, we'll put all of Nick's social media uh, handles in our liner notes for the episode. Nick, again, as always, an absolute pleasure, my man. I cannot thank you enough. Absolutely. Thanks, Dan. We'll talk soon, okay? We'll have to get out for a round. For sure. All right, people. So we either get busy golfing or get busy dying. Thank you.